At Kroger, we know the minute a tomato is picked, the fresh timer starts. The sooner we get our produce to you, the fresher it is. That's why we've shortened the time from harvest to home for our tasty tomatoes, strawberries, and salads. So no matter how you shop, you have more time with your fresh produce. Kroger, fresh for everyone. And now, shop what you love and save $2 on each participating item when you buy three or more with your card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is your host, Taylor Nolan, former reality TV personality and practicing psychotherapist. And welcome to episode 102, where we will be discussing very uncomfortable topics, but very necessary to discuss, uh, including white fragility, which I've talked about many, many times on my Instagram page at Tamoka. And uh, we'll be discussing it with uh, David, who is a white male. So uh, very fitting for this. As we've, as I've shared on Instagram, um, it's really important that white people are involved in this conversation and that sometimes when messages around white fragility are given by people of color, that it can be really difficult for other white people to actually absorb these messages and hear them. So buckle up for what might be a very uncomfortable episode if you are a white person. Uh, But with that being said, welcome and I'm happy to have you here. Um, In addition to topics like white fragility today, we will also discuss the political climate both in the U.S. and in Canada and how history has kind of helped shape privilege and the racism that we currently see in our society. Um, I'm really excited about this episode. It was actually filmed um, or recorded uh, in Toronto, um, so hence discussing Canadian and U.S. politics. Um, And I'm really excited because this guest uh, is very, very into politics, and he's going to be able to really explain some of this stuff to us. He knows a lot about history, um, so I'm really excited to you know chat with him a little bit more and, and share with you guys um, a lot of his knowledge in this area. So with all of that said, let's talk about it. All right, so welcome, David, to the show. Thank you so much for coming in to chat with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of like a last minute kind of a thing, and <laughs> I'm, I got to say... What I, I love talking about mental health on the podcast and mm-hmm. sexual health, but I think there's also a huge part of me that is super passionate about social justice type of things and mm-hmm. um, talk just overall things that make us feel uncomfortable. And usually, like politics is a huge one. Um, yeah. And so I'm really excited to have you on here because I've shared you as a resource. Um, just for political things in general, as you do political news commentary, but also like specifically white fragility, because you did a video on white fragility that I really appreciated. And uh, my family member, Rob, who I've talked about a lot on the podcast and um, is has helped me through my whole racial identity journey as well. Um, he's one that sent it to me and was like, you did a really good job. Like, you should follow him. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I'm really excited to chat with you, and there's a few things I want to get into, but first, just the fact that we're in Canada, there's this whole stereotype, right, that Canadians are just so nice, and they're so polite, and, like, racism doesn't exist in Canada. There is, and even Canadians, we all think, I mean, not I shouldn't say we all, but a lot of Canadians definitely think this, and I think it stems from the fact that we aren't really taught history properly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have a history of blackface in this country, for example, just as America does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the the whole Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, and it it, it came out that he had 
put on blackface, not once, but multiple times. Yeah. Um, and to have people sort of just brush it off. I mean, people in my own family that are that are older that that just think, oh, you know, it's just a kind of dress. He was just dressing up for mm-hmm. Halloween. What's the big deal? And I. I understand the inclination to feel that way if you don't understand the history and the impact that that has on people of color. Yeah. So when it comes to, to blackface, there's a history of blackface in America and the U.S. Um, where you had uh, performers dressing up in mm-hmm. blackface as a way to mock people yep. uh, of color. And not even just white people dressing up in blackface, but they forced black performers to put on blackface to hide their humanity. Mm-hmm. So when you understand that history... And the impact that that still has on people, and for a former prime minister, for a current prime minister to, to to wear that, and not like it's it's one thing if you know you have the random Joe who doesn't understand the history, okay, whatever. Yeah. But you have a prime minister who is not only a prime minister, the son of a prime minister as well. Yeah. For him not to understand this, mm-hmm. and then on top of that, to have other liberals defend him. Look, mm-hmm. I am a very progressive person. It's going to become clear when we get more to politics. <laughs> We're going to talk, talk about Bernie. Yeah. We're going to feel the burn, guys. <laughs> we'll, get into, we'll get into Bernie Sanders. But this is like, there's this, this serious disconnect between um, liberals and conservatives. Many liberals, that's, uh, and when I say liberals, I mean people that support the liberal, the liberal party and liberal mm-hmm. politicians. They think, oh, Trudeau is very progressive. He's, you know, he, he has a... a, a uh, equal gender cabinet. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, he's very flowery language, always speaks, you know, always speaks up for, for people that are, you know, the downtrodden. But does he? <laughs> like, <laughs> what, in practice, who is he actually? And he yeah. has this very, I mean, this has been discussed ad, ad nauseum in the past, but he has this public persona and a private persona. He mm-hmm. is not somebody that is going to fight for the poor middle class to the detriment of those that are wealthy for example. And mm-hmm. this is where the Liberal Party, the Liberal Party really is a, a center-right party. So they are, are sort of liberal on, on social issues somewhat, <laughs> um, but then very conservative when it comes to economic policy, much as the Conservative Party is. So it's, I mean, it's a good thing in this country we have multiple parties. We have the NDP, which is a progressive party, does speak to progressive economic issues, does speak to labor reforms, mm-hmm. and also, in addition to that, is also uh, socially progressive. But we see that 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 disconnect between um, between race and and liberals really became evident when that blackface yeah, thing with Trudeau. yeah when when that whole thing blew up with with Trudeau and this shows Canadians in general we really don't have a grasp on on our history and not even just our history but our impact uh, as as people that are are as a country that largely is looked at as a country that is that is kind and nice mm-hmm. and you know. You come here, we're welcoming, mm-hmm. and a lot of that is true, and you know, somewhat. But we have this lack of awareness when it comes to race, mm-hmm. and I, I really, you know, I go back to history. I, I think it's a lack of history. I think it's a lack of um, awareness where our media has been essentially, for the most part, consumed by by white people, and yeah. just just as America, people in positions of power mm-hmm. are largely white, largely male, yep. and that's going to trickle down to. The hiring process is mm-hmm. going to trickle down to how um, the media perceives issues. Yeah. And we really don't have that. I think now we're beginning to have more of a conversation mm-hmm. uh, about this kind of thing. But um, for a while, there's just been a total disconnect. And it part of it is generational. 
uh, as well. Yeah. Um, as I said, uh, older people are sort of uh, they're they're less um, aware of these issues as uh, opposed to people like me who are online all the time, mm-hmm. always learning, always always evolving. Yeah. Um, and myself, I mean, I grew up in a white suburb. It's not lost on me that I was completely oblivious mm-hmm. to all of this mm-hmm. <laughs> most of my life. Yeah. Um, until I, you know. Uh, grew up and and began to really engage in political issues, mm-hmm. uh, began to pay a little more attention. And you simply, you learn and you grow. And I think also showing that process of, of growth is is important. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Because, and, and being able to explain it in that way as well. Because if you simply, there's this, so when, you, when we discuss white fragility, I think that term immediately turns off a lot mm-hmm. of people. Yes. Um, me as a white person, I can say I'm not bothered by that because I understand what that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but at one point you didn't. And no, when you no. didn't. And when I didn't, de- absolutely, that would have, hearing that would have been like, what are you talking about? I'm not, you know, yeah. like, like, what are you possibly saying? That, mm-hmm. that, you know, because people think they have their own struggles, right? And they do. Everyone has, mm-hmm. we all have our own struggles. But if you are somebody who is, is a, a person of color in this country, even though you may have uh, similar struggles, or even though white people may have similar struggles to to everyone else in terms of you know finding the right career path, finding a job, there's an yeah. extra layer, an extra barrier there for people of color mm-hmm. because when you go to when these when people of color go to you know job interviews, largely they are being interviewed by white people. Yeah, by op- a white man. Yeah, and mm-hmm. often by by white men, and and there is this um, there's this almost this uh, familiar f- familiarity kind of in, in the hiring process where. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you see this, it's, it's evident in television and movies as well. When you mm-hmm. have writers and producers and directors that are white, guess who shows up in the roles? Yeah. <laughs> Other white people. Yep. And it's, it's, it's because that's their experience, right? So mm-hmm. it really, it boils down to um, requiring not just a, a cultural shift in understanding uh, how, how there is this, this division between how white people think, uh, even when they think they're being... Um, uh, inclusive that they actually aren't because it also has to do with the who's at the top of these companies who's mm-hmm. actually making the decisions as yeah. opposed to oh look we, we got our you know our token person of color there's mm-hmm. a representation yeah that doesn't that doesn't serve no that, that doesn't, doesn't, serve, doesn't work <laughs> no it, it doesn't give people the experience like yeah. it doesn't share what the true experience of that person is so mm-hmm. that's where you know that's where real stories or, or people that um run companies that are people of color are able to actually bring that experience that wasn't there uh, before to their work, whether mm-hmm. it's in media, uh, whether it's in movies, television, whether it's just in you know in the business world. Yeah. So representation um, means a lot, and mm-hmm. we're going to get into uh, you know Bernie and politics as well because people will think, hey, well, if you're you know if you're so pro this, then why do you support an old white man as opposed to yes, yes, yep. But there's also <laughs> AOC just had to yeah, answer and that exactly. question, Alexander and I think it's a very exactly. yeah, it's a very valid uh, question and definitely something we'll get into. Um, I'm curious to hear from you a little bit of how you. I know you said you know you just started learning things online more, but I'm curious for you as I guess for the people that are just listening to this on audio as the podcast, um, as a white man, David, I'm introducing you as a white man now. Um, uh, and I hope it's that isn't true. offensive. <laughs> hope you don't think I'm being racist. No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm curious for you what that experience was like maybe in, in college or, or wherever where you did start to perhaps be more aware of the different ex- life experiences and perspectives of people of color and how that plays a role overall in the entire system, whether in Canada or just the world in general. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess the, the evolution really, it, 
I wouldn't even say it was through college because funny enough, I went to college in a very white town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it wasn't even really uh, the, much exposure there. It was more through through media and, and television and beginning to understand. So, for example, um, the criminal justice system uh, clearly disproportionately um, impacts people of color. And what really began to, I guess, sort of open my eyes is when I began to hear stories directly from people that experienced this. Mm. So, uh, for example, there's a, a, a black man who uh, discussed his experience as somebody who's just, you know, a driver commuting to work. Mm-hmm. And this, he, he's stopped constantly by, by cops yeah. for no reason. And I have, like, this blew my mind. And this is, this is, a, common, <laughs> yeah. this is a common experience. And it's yeah. something that, that a lot of white people really do not, are not privy to. They don't understand. Yeah. They don't hear about this. And I've been, a, I've been stopped by a cop. Honestly, I think once in my entire life. And it's because the sticker on my license plate was out of date. So there actually was a good reason to stop me. Yes. <laughs> but, Expired tabs. I just yeah. got a ticket for that recently, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. But yeah. Uh, but there are people of color stopped, especially black men are stopped all the time for no reason except for, hey, why are you driving in this neighborhood? Yeah. Or, or oh, you look suspicious for some reason. Oh, you or, look like somebody else. Is this your car? Yeah, is this your car? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you... Do you do you really uh, drive this BMW? It's yeah. so there is this constant discrimination, and and it's again, it's not just in the police force, but it, it's a it's kind of a, a microcosm mm-hmm. of how society operates, how how we think about uh, yeah. race generally in in society, and how it really isn't addressed. Yeah, but um, like, did you ever think like as you were hearing these things, right? For example, that black people or people of color are pulled over more frequently. Was there a part of you that was like, but are they really? <laughs> or like, but no, like, no way. Like, why would that happen? Like, I think that's what happens for yeah, some no, totally. white people when they the, hear that, that they're like, well, that's yeah. not my experience. Like, I don't think that that actually happens. Yeah, that's definitely the the initial. So I'm not sure if I had that reaction because once I heard those stories, like I heard I heard enough of them. It it became clear this was a thing that was happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think people do have that. I should say, I think a lot of white people do have that initial response because it seems so crazy mm-hmm. because it, it's not their worldview. And that's what really ha- have to go back to it and think about everything that you are considering right now, everything that you're thinking about, the, the feelings that you have right now to everything I'm saying is based on your upbringing, based on mm-hmm. your perspective, based on your lived experience. So if your lived experience is of somebody who has never experienced any of these, any of these things, it may sound crazy to you, mm-hmm. but this is why you have to open yourself, uh, open yourself up to other people's uh, experiences. And also don't allow phrases or, or terms like white fragility to close you up and, and hold you back. This is, it, mm-hmm. it's not about like, I mean, and, and if you feel that way, you're kind of proving the point. Yeah. Well, right? not even, <laughs> not even hearing the term white fragility, but just hearing the term white people. Like I've yeah. gotten feedback from people that even just when I talk about white people as a generalization, that a, I'm being racist and that B, I'm being insensitive and that, um, then I do call that out is like, well, that is actually a symptom of white fragility. And I guess I want to get a little bit into, uh, it's, it's a tough one to go into here. I'm I'm all for (laughs) Um, tough topics. Yeah. And, and, and I think when discussing white fragility and when discussing just these dynamics with race, um, white people often feel like, they are wrong or like they can't be included in the conversation and that they just have to like shut up. Um, and I think 
there's there are times where that is the case, but for the most part, it is really important to have these conversations. And I think um, I particularly enjoy. I mean. The one person who speaks about white fragility the most is Robin D'Angelo, and she's actually based out of Washington and has wrote a book on this. Um, but I think the fact that she's a white woman allows her to actually really have some of that power to influence other white people on this topic. And I'm very aware of the fact that coming from me that this might sound slightly biased. I mean, I'm half black, half white, but regardless, uh, I think when I'm talking about white people, people then see me as a person of color Mm -hmm. and not, they see me as more or less like them than they do usually, which is more like them. Mm -hmm. Um, I have now made myself other by exploring white fragility and discussing that. Um, So I, I appreciate you being a white man and talking about this. And I hope that this perhaps allows people to be a little bit more open when discussing that. Um, but White fragility in and of itself is essentially a a denial to um, this racism and to um, other people of color sharing their stories and people not being able to accept that as truth. And I'm hoping you can talk a little bit more perhaps with some specific examples or just generally what white white fragility looks like and how you recognize it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that is a tough one. Um, the thing is, a, a lot of this is really based on a power dynamic. Mm-hmm. So because white people are at... So this is this goes back to a lot of assumptions that white people have about why society is this way. So a lot of white people think, hey, well, white people are in positions of power at the top of these companies because they work the hardest. So that's that's oh. why they... And no, I know that's that's hard to hear because that's what a lot of <laughs> white it people... But th- it is so true. And it's a yeah. conversation I've had to have with people too of like, it's not about working hard. Like it's not no. what privilege... No. We haven't discussed yeah. privilege yet, but privilege plays a huge part yes, of this conversation yes, mm-hmm. where privilege is not about the fact that you no. work hard or you don't work hard. Yeah. A, a lot of this, like a lot of the power that exists in, in the US and in Canada, especially in the, in the West in general, is... It's based in colonialism. So, I mean, Europeans came here to the West and they stole land and, you know, murdered genocide of the, of the of the indigenous people of these lands. And they began a life here. These white people began a life here uh, that has now led to where we are today, which is why all these white people are in positions of power, mostly mm-hmm. at the top of these companies in, in yeah. society, in, in politics, because... It's we're talking about like hundreds of years of, yeah. of, of ingrained, and they built that yeah, society. They at which built that they society would be around them. Yes, mm-hmm. so this is why uh, again it, it always goes back to history, and and I'm constantly learning about history as well. I'm no mm-hmm. I'm no expert by by any means. Did you study but, um, history? Uh, no, but I, I'm beginning to get more into it now that I cover politics. So I begin to look back at at how we got to where we are. Yeah, and when you look back at how we got to where we are, it's clear white people designed a society around white people. So. Mm-hmm. And again, understanding that these people, these Europeans, were were immigrants to this country, stole this land from indigenous people. Everybody else coming after them that may not be white but are still immigrants, just like those white people were, we're all immigrants. So unless you're indigenous to this land, you are an immigrant. So Mm -hmm. understanding that and, and understanding the only difference here is is cultural and is how how we look, that doesn't mean or that doesn't preclude us from being able to build a society where we are all represented. Mm-hmm. And I again, it's it's a slog, it's a struggle. We are slowly getting to that. But yeah, it's when it comes to, to recognizing uh, mm-hmm. white fragility. Before you go into that, yeah. I 
feel like I want to have you on for like every other episode because I'm like, all right, we got to talk about like building walls. Like we got to talk about privilege. I'm just like, there's so many yeah, things. That's the thing with politics. It's, it's never ending. You can get into culture, get into politics, get into electoral politics. I mean, yeah, it's a whole, yes. it's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, honestly, I'm not even sure how to answer that question because it's it's all around us. I mean, white fragility yeah. is is constant. Um, so <laughs> it's like it's it's hard to really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if anything, I feel like people of color can kind of give their experience in uh, or share their experiences in a way where it can uh, enlighten people like myself who may not be uh, as used to really um, or because we grew up in the society because I grew up in a white suburb. A lot of the fragility is just normal to me, mm-hmm. so it's almost hard for me to really recognize it unless I'm looking for it, right? Yeah. So uh, that's where sharing experiences and being open to hearing those other experiences from people that don't look like you or, or, or don't have your culture um, really helps to inform uh, white people. But it has to, I mean, it comes back to are you willing to be open and yes. hearing those experiences? Because if you're not open to hearing those experiences, if this podcast has already made you angry... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> when we haven't really got into, like, you know, uh, uh, or, or even tried to offend anybody. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it, it can be, uh, it's a tough thing to, to really explore without hearing those experiences. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so, for example, I shared when, when this huge fragility uh, topic came up on my Instagram when I was sharing it, uh, in part, it was around Trump saying, you know, encouraging this send her back chant about uh congresswoman uh, omar Omar. Mm -hmm. um and feeling triggered by that experience but then also just going into discussing privilege and how when you have power that those things uh that the things that you say and the policies you advocate for and all these things how you live your life really impact people that you then give permission to other people to continue that kind of language and essentially trying to call out, you know, just the general racism that exists. And for example, I've done an episode on this before, uh, talking about the question, what are you? That oftentimes as a mixed race person of color with a very ambiguous looking background appearance, um, I'll get white people that come up to me on the street literally randomly and just be like, what are you? I love your curls. What are you? Mm. Um, And, (laughs) you know, when I share experiences like that, um, that there is such a urge to defend the white person. And that to me is like, well, this is a symptom of your white fragility coming in. And, and I, I get where like naming it that way and calling it that feels yeah. like, oh, you did something wrong. And now that's yeah. like, you know, making I, you feel like you're a bad person, which yeah. is not the case, but it's this urge to like jump in and defend the white person mm-hmm. without actually hearing out what that person of color's experience was. Yeah. This goes back to people thinking that um, your intentions is everything. So because that person that's uh, talked to you didn't mean anything by it Mm -hmm. that, oh, it's okay because she, she just was trying to be nice, but Mm -hmm. it's like, no, you have to understand the impact of your words. So even if you, even if your intention is to be kind and to start a conversation, you have to be, uh, you have to be able to understand the impact that that can have. And I mean, when you look, there has to be also uh, an awareness that a lot of people right now are just so clueless, <laughs> so, that, which is why I think it's important to be able to approach these conversations, not in a way that will 
you know, have people close close down and not take any information in, but I, but be able to open them up. So, mm-hmm. which is why I, I mentioned this. So, even if you under even if you go in a conversation like that as a white person and you think uh, I have good intention here, what's wrong? Sit back and take in the experience of the other person because what, what you're doing mm-hmm. is you're making the other person feel like they are they are other, they are different. Yeah, they are not a part of this society. Oh, what are you? You're 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 not like me. What are you like? The, mm-hmm. that, that those words have have an impact and that don't make you feel like like you belong yeah. and when the rest of society is also doing that as well when it comes to the hiring process when it comes to these power these power dynamics when it comes to um having you know mostly white men in in positions of power and in politics mm-hmm. um then it's it it just it feeds into an already existing narrative that mm-hmm. definitely ha- has a way or has an impact on people if you aren't able to understand how those words may affect people. Yeah. So, I mean, I can mention briefly as well. Um, we have this uh, Don Cherry in Canada. Yes, a, please uh, educate yeah. <laughs> us on this situation. And granted, it this is happening now, um, which is mid mid November. Um, but I think totally to this story that there's much to learn and and can be beneficial even listening yeah. after the fact. So, Don Cherry, just like a, just a quick bio. He's a He's uh, an NHL uh, commentator. He, he's sort of like an, a Canadian icon. So he was a, a coach, of, you know, back years and years ago. Uh, he became this this staple of Canadian hockey. Every Saturday, Coach's Corner, um, him and Ron McLean would talk about hockey. But then Don would often, uh, Don Cherry would often touch on cultural issues um, or even talking about hockey would mention, uh, you know, European players and French people and and kind of treat them as as wimps. I mean, if he didn't say it directly, which he would say it directly often, um, there would always be this air of like, oh, you know, those aren't real. Those aren't real hockey players. The real hockey players are these good Canadian, these good white Canadian boys, hmm. um, you know, born and bred in, you know, in, in, in Canada. So there was always this this feeling of um, or he always created, created this this idea that hockey was about the white people, it was about yeah. you know, <laughs> was a sport for for white Canadian men or white American men. Um, and so recently he said on air, essentially, uh, that, that immigrants, you know, uh, I, I'm quoting here almost exactly. Um, you come here, you, you, uh, you love our milk and honey, but you don't respect the country. Uh, uh, essentially saying a lot of immigrants don't wear poppies. So for Remembrance Day, you don't wear poppies to, to represent uh, the, the veterans that, that served us in the past, which just, it's, 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 a, it's a lie completely. Like, it's not true. <laughs> but and even poppies if, are like a flower yeah, that you guys it's wear. It's a flower you, yeah, that we wear. So, yeah, this is not an American thing, I guess. Nope. I, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I mean, because now I have a bunch of Canadian friends, I do yeah. see some people, like, with the yeah. flower So, thing a poppy is like a, a red flower we wear on our, on our coat or our, 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 our shirt um, to, to, to represent uh, veterans, essentially, on, on uh, mm-hmm. Remembrance Day. And he's um, saying that immigrants and, yeah, don't saying, do that because yeah, they don't appreciate because they don't appreciate the country, which first of all isn't true. Um, but even if so, I'll, I'll just out myself here. I didn't wear a poppy this year, <laughs> and I'm a white guy. So <laughs> How dare you? It's Don Cherry coming after me. Yeah, exactly. This is so. All kinds of people don't wear poppies or do wear poppies. Like the whole. But, but the, the the idea is um, basically again uh, feeding into this 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 narrative that you have the the others and mm-hmm. here we are in Canada as the white people we're doing good we're representing Canada but the others aren't it, it's so he was eventually um fired for this which mm-hmm. i mean someone who's a who's a staple in in Canadian uh, or in in the NHL and hockey in, in Canada for years and years to to be 
fired. Um, yeah. People thought, or I should say some people thought, so his, his defenders thought, this is crazy. How could you possibly do this? For, for well, for people like me and everybody else, we thought he should have been fired like 20 years ago. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like finally, like this is the final, like this yeah. is the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, but so, and this, and I'm saying this as I have close friends who I, I saw defending Don Cherry and it forced me to put out a statement because I saw this and I'm like, I got to say something. I can't mm-hmm. be silent about this. Yeah. Where essentially saying, look, I grew up loving Don Cherry. I grew up watching this guy. Um, he was entertaining. Uh, he's always been entertaining. Um, as somebody who, uh, or, 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 I should say, he was entertaining when I wasn't aware of the impact of much of what he was saying. So, again. Tell him. Th- yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> again, going back to um, the experience or how our own perspective kind of clouds our, our judgment. So, I grew up, you know, watching this guy, loving this guy. But eventually, you know, as I grew and, and learned more about the world... And really began to understand a lot of what Don Cherry was saying was just complete BS. I mean, even to go back to, to um, sort of a objective analysis, though I don't want to say just objective analysis, but but something factual that he was wrong about that doesn't deal with, with race or culture, mm-hmm. but gives you an idea of how often he was wrong. He fought for Canada to be in the Iraq War back in 2003. So we look back at now, even Republicans, diehard conservatives agree the Iraq war was a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. But here's Don Cherry back in the early 2000s arguing that Canada should join the Iraq war, which again, I mean, I know it's a political issue, but it shows you how wrong he is on many of these issues. Mm. So he was wrong about that. And, and he's wrong about immigrants. He's, he's wrong about culture. Yeah. And it, is, it, is, it isn't about that he def- he offends people because that's what a lot of white people think. Oh, Don Cherry offended some people. People complained, and that's he- that's why he got fired. No, but they don't realize like the actual impact yeah, of what he said. Realize... Being like, wait, no, no, this was actually something that there should have been some kind of con- consequence for. Yeah, it, and that this, was harmful. This was a guy who, for years, was misinforming people. Yeah. Was for years talking to his largely white male audience and keeping them closed in into this worldview that just wasn't real. Mm-hmm. That was just completely made up. Yeah. So. You like that is the actual cultural impact. You have somebody in a position of power hmm. on television every week, yeah. often talking about these issues, no, knowing nothing at all about what he's talking about. Clearly impacting millions of people. A lot of kids mm-hmm. watch Coach's Corner, watch hockey, oh, obviously yeah. on the weekend, and they're being impacted by his words. And that's the issue here. It's not that Don Cherry offended people; it's that he created this narrative that was never true. And mm-hmm. he negatively impacted our culture because of it. So that is why he was let go. And that just, and like that goes to people not understanding um, the impact of their words yeah. and of white fragility and of power dynamics as well. Mm-hmm. So because well, he was in that position of power, yeah. that's why he had to be pushed out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that is just, it's making me think of so many things in American politics yeah. where like just that premise, uh, like itself, um, has played out a lot within American politics. Um, one thing I, I want to get to that, that you spoke about that I think a lot of people are struggling with these days, uh, with more, I think it's as we become more and more educated on things, but also as we just have more access to more stories, um, that, you have friends that potentially have different points of view than you do and coming to terms with that and trying to navigate that. How do you handle that like mentally and emotionally being friends with 
or no longer being friends with, I don't know, um, people that you find then aren't advocating for people of color or are not practicing being allies for people of color or, um, you know, perpetuating things like racism or sexism or whatever. Like, how Mm -hmm. have you managed that personally? So luckily in my experience, I've been able to be a voice where they've been able to, they've been willing to listen to me. Yeah. So because I look like them, so yes. I'm talking about white people here. You have an advantage. Yeah. Yep. So the, I yep. have an advantage. In, this is in a t- part of privilege. Yes, exactly. I, I have the privilege of being able to educate other white people who are, don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that gives me the, the, the advantage there. So um, I've never been in a, like, luckily, I mean, I grew up in a fairly um, open-minded, progressive home, mm-hmm. um, even though I grew up in a, in a very you know white suburb. Uh, but my family was very open-minded in, in that sense. Um, and my friends for the most part as well. But yeah, I, I've never had any family member or, or friend just be completely shut off to listening to me. Mm-hmm. So if if, it, if it's ever gotten to that or, or if it ever had to get to that, uh, I'm not sure how I'd be friends with someone like that. Just yeah. Because if I can't, you know, if I if, if somebody's not willing to understand mm-hmm. um or that, listen, or, or listen, and and understand that their, their impact that, that they can have a negative impact on other people um, through just through their their words or or how they carry themselves. Then it's really hard to I think have a relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I've been able to luckily um, get through to people like that. I haven't talked to the people I'm talking about right now or thinking about right now when it comes to the Don Cherry thing. I will definitely yeah. have conversations <laughs> with them about. I'm sure it'll come up. Um, so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to that, to those conversations cause I'm curious what their thoughts yeah. are or, or how they, I, I should say how they, um, express their, their, their views on this. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it, part of it is, is, is listening. So even me as somebody who, uh, I would say is largely a little more educated on these issues than most white people are. It's, I think it's important for me to listen as well. Because if it's just a one-way conversation, you, you're really not going to – I'm not going to get through to that person. So yeah. I have to hear what their experience is and also mm-hmm. speak from experience. So speak from um, – or speak in this way. Say, hey, I understand what you're saying. I understand you think this way based on this, this, and this. But here's why I think what I think. And then mm-hmm. – and so it's not just about telling people that they're wrong. It's yeah. about explaining to them why you think what you think. So mm-hmm. I can go back – you know, I can bring up history uh, – uh, lessons or yeah. or bring up this and that, bring up different examples to really drive home why I feel how I feel. And mm-hmm. it's not just about, oh, I was offended or I was bothered by this, but it's actually rooted in something that is that is real that people can actually uh, hear and think, okay, I didn't know about that yeah. part of our history. Now I understand this a little better. And that's how you begin to really, I think, get through to people on these issues. That makes sense. And I think it's it's nice to have that addition education and and knowledge around these subjects going into the conversation in in addition to just having that privilege that you don't have to necessarily work for any kind of respect or credibility to discuss these topics i should say as well too if you're if you're someone who's white who understands this it's kind of on us it's on you to help other uh, educate other people in your life Mm -hmm. your friends and family because because like you're saying it is harder for someone like you to to get through to people who are going to be closed off um, so if you know yeah. people in your life, definitely like get through to them. Yeah. And, and in addition to that, like the, the two way street thing that you were just talking about, um, the, in terms of the communication, I think a piece that I often have to fight against or communicate when I do have these conversations largely on Instagram, um, with mainly white women, um, is that a piece I don't think people understand is that 
people of color have to put in so much emotional energy and emotional labor to discussing these things when they attempt to educate other white people or non-people of color um, on their experiences and that sometimes that leads to me not having the energy to be able to have a two-way conversation to where it's I, I sometimes I don't have the empathy for you to listen to what your experience has been because I'm exhausted now at not only trying to help you understand my story but also then having to like defend myself and why Mm -hmm. that's even valid yeah that's also why we we cannot put this on people of color to to do this work because it's it's not fair to to put that all on you and i mean this reminds me of another example we have a a a leader uh, a political leader here uh, jagmeet singh of the ndp he's a a sikh man he wears a turban and during Mm -hmm. his campaign uh a man walked up to him and and he was like an older man and was acting kind, but, mm-hmm. but said, cut your turban off. You look like a Canadian. I and, did hear about this. Yeah. Yes. And so the way Jagmeet Singh reacted, because he's a political leader, he acted very, you know, very kindly. He said, no, very sir. PC. Yeah, very PC. He said, uh, no, sir, this is Canada. You know, you can wear what you want, do what you want. He's like, oh, in Rome, do what the Romans do. He's like, no, this is Canada, you know. And then kind of, you know, he was very, Jagmeet Singh was very kind, walked off. But he was clear. So I, I actually recently saw an, a, an interview with him. And he was clear where he was saying, this is me, this is, this is my, um, me as someone who's leading a political party, this is how I feel I should deal with this situation because mm-hmm. I feel like I can get through people better this way as someone who's leading a party. But he was clear to, or he made clear, don't, like, he doesn't expect everyone else to act that way. Yeah. Like, if you just said F off, then that's that's a perfectly fine you know yes. reaction like yeah. that, that's almost expect that 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 yep. should be your reaction because yeah. you shouldn't be expected to have to always explain yourself mm-hmm. and I think that's what uh, white people need to understand as well we can't always expect uh, people of color to have to explain themselves to us because we should already know these things we should already be doing our own work to understand how how people how we should be inclusive how we should actually understand the experiences of other people yes. and we don't do the work a lot of us do not do the work and look. We all have busy lives. I get it. But mm-hmm. when it comes to social interactions, these are everyday things, people in your office, people you work with. It's important to understand how to talk to other people who don't have your perspective. Yeah. So it's on us to do the work, do the research. And if you already know this stuff, it's on you to now help inform other people in mm-hmm. society who do not know these things. This whole podcast is just a PSA. <laughs> I just want to take like every clip of your responses and be like, PSA. <laughs> um, wonderful. The, the, this specific situation, I, I love how he did handle it. And I think that that m- dynamic is what people are expecting and what they uh, almost demand that people of color deliver that when I'm saying, when I'm sharing something and someone responds with something racist and I have to like explain how that was racist, that I should be doing it in this very like, you know, respectful, zero sass, um, just, and, and I understand, trust me, I understand I'm a therapist. I get how to communicate with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm subjective, right, and when I'm personally involved and I have emotion, on, emotion, right, I have passion behind this, it is not always going to come out in this pretty tidy little bow. And guess what? That is also the privilege um, of white people is that they don't even have to have that energy to, like, 
force themselves, right, to deliver these things, right? Like people of color are not expecting that like white people are going to be tidying everything up with a little bow like to protect our feelings. Like we're used to being insulted in some way or offended in some way. And then when we actually share that we are, it's not like they're like, oh, like I'm really sorry about that. And that is where white fragility comes in. They get offended because you taught, because you spoke up and gave your experience. And it's exactly now I have to emotionally caretake for your hurt feelings over my experience. And I've, I'm very thankful because I do have many followers that are like, very woke, right? And like mm-hmm. educate themselves on this and appreciate the fact that I have these conversations and try to also help me learn when I am having them, which I super appreciate. And I've gotten many comments because I do try to have a two-way conversation, right? And I try to educate and acknowledge where it is difficult for some of these white women that I'm talking with. Mm-hmm. But then I'm super thankful because I'll get the messages that are like, no, like you don't have to apologize for the fact that, you know, you're you had a little bit of sass in that. Like, that's tone policing. Yeah. Like, they're literally tone policing you right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, shit. Like, you're right. Like, I'm yeah. trying to, but like, deliver it in What's funny, bow. though, in, in, yeah, but in, in their mind, they think that, oh, you're being just, you're being so PC. When it's like, it's, it's no, it's like, what do you, t- like, it, it, the person that that said what 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 got you to, to react that way, mm-hmm. like, they have to understand the impact of yeah. of those words, and then and now they're being offended. They're the ones that are actually being PC or or, or being um being I guess fragile, yeah. Uh, because they can't they can't take your perspective. They can't take someone else delivering their experience. Um, but you know, a lot of it as well is I think people are just we close down, mm-hmm. and I mean. People in general, when we're attacked, we kind of want to. We have this inclination to defend, to just to just kind of hunker yes. down and defend, and, even and, and, and fact, protect our ego, protect our feelings. But and, even yeah. just the fact that saying that, like, you have an experience with a white person, and are generalizing and saying, like, yeah, this is something I experienced with white people, that's not an attack. But no. that's the fragility coming yeah. in where people yeah. feel attacked, yeah, and then they react out of that. Yeah, and that's when it's like just oh this shit yeah, show. It's it's definitely it's it's a delicate balance. I mean it's 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 tough because you there's no reason for people of color to have to police um, their feelings when they're. I mean, when do we ever police white people when they react? Like when they react? Like mm-hmm. like it's 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 become like. Like it's it's a normal thing to see a white lady yelling at a cashier, like, mm-hmm. but like, <laughs> but like if it's if the roles are reversed or, or it's uh you know the 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 the, the angry black man or angry black mm-hmm. woman, like that becomes a, a yeah. thing, and it's it's so absurd because there's this again it goes back to this worldview of oh the that many people white have that that many white people have of oh these are these are white nations, but people don't even like a lot of white people don't even don't even really register that they don't recognize yeah. that that that's how they think they mm-hmm. just think oh this is normal like this is this is kind of uh, this is standard basically like the way society is right now mm-hmm. with white with 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 the white people in charge this is just standard so so any change to that yeah. is actually impacting my freedom as a white person because no longer do we have all these positions of power like the, it's just like what no. are we gonna do yeah <laughs> yeah but like well, yeah and, and- so for them you're attacking their equality because mm-hmm. because because their equality is we have all the power, but that was never equal. Yeah. So there is, yeah, there's just a total disconnect and not understanding that that what we have right now is a complete hold on society, and and that becoming a little more equal 
is not taking away our freedom. It's beca- it's treating society as yeah. it should be. Equality only feels like oppression when you've had privilege. Yes, yes, that's the perfect way to put it. PSA, yes. <laughs> Speaking of white people in power, um, <laughs> let's touch on feeling the burn. Yes. Because... I've shared Bernie on my Instagram. It is no secret. I support Bern. I love Bern. Uh, I really am hoping that Bernie is elected mm-hmm. <laughs> our next election. Um, I have not talked about it a ton on the podcast. I certainly still welcome people that have different points of view, obviously, as I would hope all of you listeners know. Um, and I don't want you to think that because I'm supporting this specific political candidate that that means that we can never be friends, right? Or that I'm going to think you're a terrible terrible person. I don't think that's the case. But I do think it's important to do your research on your candidates and to make a decision. Find someone that you're going to advocate for, that that you want to be a part of their team, and run with that. Like, get involved with that person. Mm -hmm. Um, I've donated to Bernie's campaign a few times. I plan on participating... Um, and some door knocking when I get back to Seattle. Nice. Um, and I've never done that before, uh, like in high school, I guess, but not like for a political candidate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it's important to get involved in that. And so it's okay if it's not Bernie Sanders for you. For me, it is. Um, and I highly encourage all of you to, you know, again, just do your research and, and figure that out. But um, again, to this question that we mentioned in the beginning that AOC recently answered um, and that I'm sure maybe some of you would have for me um, about why we should um, elect a old white man <laughs> to yeah. power. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this, this goes back to people not being able to separate, separate identity and, and actual politics and material changes in people's lives. So when we look back, let's just go back to 2016 for a minute here. Oh, so, oh do we have to? <laughs> I know we, we got to open some old wounds here. <laughs> but so back in 2016, you had you – had, Two candidates, essentially, in the Democratic primary, Bernie Sanders and, and Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Now, there was, from the very beginning, Bernie Sanders uh, was kind of sidelined, especially by, by the mainstream press. Yeah, looked he's at, crazy. Yeah, he's crazy old Bernie. Uh, mm-hmm. What is this guy doing? He's going to have no support. Yeah. He closed a 60-point gap to Hillary Clinton. And it, people at the time, people in media thought, oh, it's just because he's the alternative to Hillary Clinton. He's, he's a white male. People don't like that Hillary's a woman. But when you actually dive into their politics... Bernie actually spoke for the poor and middle class. Mm-hmm. He has a 40-year track record, a 40-year track record of fighting for the same thing, fighting for universal yep. health care, fighting for higher wages. He held one of the first gay pride parades as mayor of Burlington, Vermont in 1983. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He fought for gay rights on the House uh, of the uh, – on the, on the, uh, in, in Congress in, in, the, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he mass incarceration. Yeah, mass incarceration. He mm-hmm. he fought for civil rights. He uh, as a as a, a twenty year old, he yeah. um, chained himself to a black woman to uh, to protest uh, housing segregation. Mm-hmm. So this is a man who has a deep history, both in social movements, in in um, in economic movements, and in, in in supporting uh, mass movements of of people to change how society should be run. Yeah. Um, so you look back at these two candidates, and Hillary Clinton was essentially the the, the perfect establishment friendly candidate meaning mm-hmm. that she protected those already in power mm-hmm. she protected the wealthy she protected um essentially the way society already was and she was well, she wasn't challenging it she didn't have big ideas like medicare for all for example that bernie was was uh was supporting and there really was a major difference between these two candidates and even yeah. and and look once he once he lost the primary and, and she won he worked his butt off 
to, to support her. To support mm-hmm. her. Yep. He went state to state to state. I, I have a video. Um, if people, I mean, there's so much misinformation about, you know, oh, what, once Bernie lost, he didn't even help her. Yeah, Complete no, he did lie. so many yeah. campaign There's an MSNBC her, yeah. segment from Rachel Maddow, who I'm not the biggest fan of anymore for her, her politics have, have changed a lot over the past 10 years. But she did a video on, or did a segment on Bernie Sanders going state to state to state to state mm-hmm. supporting Hillary Clinton. Nobody worked harder for Hillary Clinton than Bernie Sanders did. Yeah. But so just going back to, 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 to now, though, the reason to support Bernie Sanders is not because he's a white man <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, you have to look at who endorses him. Yes. So he hit Ilhan Omar, mm-hmm. um, Rashida Tlaib, Alexandria mm-hmm. Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Nina Turner, uh, Killer mm-hmm. Mike. I mean, you have – he has yep. a very diverse support base and it's because he actually uh, has a track record, a 40-year track record. But not only that, he has built this movement. Mm-hmm. So he began to build this movement in 2016 and now he has the biggest grassroots movement by far out of any candidate in the race. Yeah. He has the most volunteers by far, the most individual donors by far, the mm-hmm. most individual donations by far, the most money by far, but yeah. just from individual donors, takes no corporate money, no PAC money. He only mm-hmm. fights for the people. Yeah. And he has a strategy to – so he doesn't just have the best agenda. So we can go over you know, uh, canceling student debt, uh, mm-hmm. Medicare for all. I mean go down the list. He's the most progressive candidate on, on every single issue. But it yeah. isn't just about that. It's about how he will fight and actually get his agenda passed. And it's through his movement. Mm-hmm. So he will activate – so no other president has, has, has done this in, in my lifetime and definitely in recent memory where he has a plan to be the organizer in chief. So he as president will activate movements across the country to put pressure on their politicians to support the agenda that he wants to get passed for the American people. Mm-hmm. So say um, West Virginia, you have a very conservative senator there, Joe Manchin. He mm-hmm. won't support Medicare for All, uh, Bernie's Medicare for All plan, even though he's a Democrat. But Bernie will go there, rally voters there to put pressure on Joe Manchin to support Medicare for All. Mm-hmm. And if Joe Manchin still doesn't support it, Bernie will support a primary challenger to Joe Manchin to push Joe Manchin out and get somebody in there who will support his agenda. So Bernie has that strategy. Ber- because he's a lifelong independent, He's not attached to any party. He's attached to the people. Mm -hmm. So when you have a a president that actually is going to fight for the people and not do what Barack Obama did, which uh, he ran a very progressive campaign in 2008 and then made way too many compromises once he actually became president, um, abandoned a a lot of what he fought for, abandoned the the movement that he built. I mean, Obama built a huge movement in 2008 and just sort of let them Mm go. Um, Hmm. Bernie's not going to do that. Bernie's going to fight for his agenda and to fight, uh, fight to actually help people. And mm-hmm. if you don't believe me, look at who's supporting him. The, yeah. the people with the most energy behind them right now. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, yeah. uh, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, mm-hmm. these massive congresswomen. They're just, they've been fantastic since, uh, since joining Congress. And Definitely. And they're actually fighting for you. Yeah, and AOC actually was like a volunteer on the campaign trail for, ban- yeah. for Bernie in, in, 2000, in, in 2016. Yeah. yeah, and that's part of what like got her really motivated to want to be in politics as well. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean... Everything you said, <laughs> I echo. You can tell I'm kind of passionate about Bernie Sanders. Yeah, like politics, I knew this wasn't going to be an issue to like <laughs> get you to talk on this. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think many people feel some kind of pressure to be able to talk about politics perfectly. And partially that's why I appreciate the fact that you said all of those things because I know <laughs> I don't say it perfectly. But I think it's okay to, you know, be a little un- uncertain when you do discuss some of the the nuances of politics, right? Like it's okay to admit that you don't know some things. It's okay to be, you know, unsure perhaps on some policies, but I think it's just important to have the conversations, right? And for me, 
Bernie is someone who is actually going to fight really hard for yeah. people that look like me, for people that can't advocate for themselves, um, and that I won't feel offended by him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't... And it's not to say that... Emotions do play a part, okay? Like, people vote yeah. emotionally, mm-hmm. for sure. There's, there's certainly the, like, you know, you need to educate yourself and, you know, based on that too. But a lot of it is also emotional. And one of the things that I do love about Bernie is that he's got a lot of sass. And, like, he doesn't hold back on that. Yeah. And that he, like, you can hear it in his voice when he's talking about shit that he is, like, he is for it. And yeah. he is going to advocate for that. Yeah. And it is not just, like... Because someone's paying him to, or because he thinks this is what's gonna get him elected, yeah. mm-hmm. but that yeah. it's it's shit that he can literally back up that he's been doing for years yeah. and years it's and a years. Li- for him, it's a it's a lifelong fight, and yes. there really is no candidate in my lifetime that had. And I'm talking Canada or America. There's no one yeah. in Canada that's like him either. Like he's this is why I, I've discussed before. He's a once in a lifetime candidate. It yeah. is so rare to have somebody who is an activist mm-hmm. run for president and build a movement like this. Yeah. You have to understand when when you have a win. I mean. I mean, this is the guy that mm-hmm. will absolutely help to deliver. And again, he talks about his his campaign slogan is not me, us. Yes. Which tells you everything you need to know because mm-hmm. he is clear that he will not be able to get this agenda passed himself. Yeah, that it's and that about it's not, the movement. And that it's not about him of just like his goal of wanting to no, be yeah, president. Abs- yeah. And that's what... which, he, which he never even had. Like if he yeah. had the goal to be president, he would have ran a lot earlier than when yes. he you know was in the 70s. Yeah. So th- he's yeah. never really cared for, for to, he's never really cared to have power. So it's yes. not about that at all. Mm-hmm. It's about, it's actually about the people yeah and that is what i hear from like some of the candidates right where i feel like it's just like they just really want to be president and they just they think that they can do the best job and the status they want yeah yeah. that's all it is yeah and that's like that's not for me um amazing political convo (laughs) super appreciate it i'm glad we talked about bernie i have not talked about bernie on the podcast um if people want to hear you talk more which i hope they do because i super enjoy hearing you talk about this um and love all the history that you share on it and think that piece is also super important Mm -hmm. um where could people follow you find you watch you stalk you you're also very attractive (laughs) but you do have a girlfriend so sorry he's not available (laughs) already checked um but He's super great. So where can people find you? So uh, my YouTube channel is at therationalnational.com. So I'll get you to the YouTube channel. Um, and on Twitter, just at David Dole, D-A-V-I-D-D-O-E-L, all one word. And same for Instagram uh, as well. And that's it. Amazing. I hope you guys check them out. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. I love this. Thank you for having discussing me. Discussing all the, all the things. <laughs> no problem. Anytime. <laughs> Thank you. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right, and, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time.
surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.